We love success stories, don't we? Stories of people going from rags to riches, from the streets to the penthouse, from a place of neglect to a place of love. Stories of people who have had to overcome great adversities in life. We, we love these kinds of stories. And if there was ever any question about that, which I don't think there is, but, but if there was, just look at the most popular books and movies that are out today. Many, many success stories. The Bible contains these types of stories as well. The main story of Scripture, the message of the gospel, is a success story. The story of paradise lost to paradise being restored once again. But in Scripture, the main focus is not ultimately on individuals overcoming great adversity, but the story of a faithful God at work through flawed yet faithful men and women to accomplish His purposes. If you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 11. We are way past the transitional part of the book of Hebrews like I've said in the past, in the first nine and a half chapters of this book, the, the writer of Hebrews is just laying out the theological foundation for the book, making the case theologically for how and why Jesus is greater. And when we get to the middle of chapter 10, he transitions. After laying out that, that theological foundation, that framework, for the book showing that Jesus is supreme in every way and has accomplished a superior work, salvation through his work as our great high priest. The author of Hebrews then transitions to the practical and basically says, therefore, in light of who Christ is, in light of the great work that he has accomplished on your behalf, here is how you are to live. He says, don't throw away your confidence. Do not abandon the great hope you have in Jesus that resulted in you standing strong early on in your Christian life in the faith. Stand strong in the faith like you once did through the worst of trials. Do not shrink back. Stand strong. Live by faith. That's his message to them. And after saying that, the author of Hebrews goes on to explain what faith is, he gives a biblical definition and then he gives a description of faith and then he gives examples of what it means to live by faith. And we're going to look at a few more examples of faith this morning. And something I want you to notice about these examples is that, that these individuals, a lot of them are flawed and they had a rocky start. They're all flawed, right? But, but because of sin, but, but some of these that we're going to see in this list were especially flawed. The examples given in this passage are really more a testimony to God's faithfulness than to man's, but I want you to look at these examples along with me and pay close attention to the lessons we learn from them. We're going to be looking at Hebrews 11, 20 through 28 today. We're going to be looking at the examples of Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and Moses. And I want you to see that each of these individuals, they had a rocky start, some bumps along the way, but they persevered. They were faithful in the end, which is why they land on the list here. 
First, notice the lesson we learn from Isaac and Jacob. Point number one, we learn from these two men that they were faithful in the end. They were faithful in the end. Faithfulness is ending well. To be faithful, we must end well. It's very, very important. Look at verse 20. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. All right, let's talk about Isaac for just a moment. Isaac was given a promise. We're told in Genesis 26, 2 through 4, what that promise is. Look at it with me up on the screen. It says this, And the Lord appeared to Isaac and said, I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring, I will give all these lands. It's the next slide there for the scripture. Verse 4, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and I will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Does that promise sound familiar to you? It's the same promise that was made to Abraham, am I right? And remember, Isaac, he's the son of Abraham and Sarah, the child of promise. But Isaac, though he was the child of promise, he had difficulty early on. He had a rough start, some bumps along the way. First off, he was married to a woman who was barren. We're told that in Genesis 25, that he married Rebekah. She was unable to have children. Now, let me ask you this. How can the offspring of the child of promise bless the nations if his wife is unable to conceive? Good question, right? Well, with man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. God opens her womb, doesn't just give her one child, but gives her twins. That is a success story right there. People don't often focus on this, but both Sarah and Rebecca were barren. And they're the ones that, that God chooses to have these children of promise that he's going to make a nation out of, who's going to bless all the other nations. That's a success story, isn't it? But not a success story of Abraham or Isaac or Sarah or Rebecca, but the God of Abraham, Isaac, Sarah, and Rebecca. Isaac's story is, is a story of success. He and, he and Rebecca's story, but it's also a rocky story. Remember, Abraham often tried to take matters into his own hand and work in a way apart from the way God had intended, and Isaac does the same thing. Rebecca is told, in Genesis 25, that there are two boys in her womb, Esau and Jacob, and is told that the younger is the favored one before they're born. And he says, the older will serve the younger, right? You remember that? Esau's born first. That makes Jacob the child of promise. God makes that clear before the two are born. Yet, though that's the case, Isaac, like Abraham, tried to take matters into his own hands and favor his son Esau. Though God favored the younger, Isaac favored the older. The Lord was clear. The older will serve the younger, but not if Isaac has anything to do about it. I mean, when you read the story of, I, uh, of Jacob, 
receiving his father's blessing, Isaac is anything but a willing participant. Am I right? He, in his old age, because he was, had difficulty seeing, he was duped into giving the blessing to the younger son, thinking it was the older one. And Jacob doesn't come off looking like a rose or smelling like a rose either, right? Looking like a saint. He and his mother deceived Isaac and took something valuable that was going to Esau. Remember I told you a, a, a moment ago, and I've told you in the past, some of these stories are pretty messed up, right? This is really a story of God's goodness and faithfulness, his mercy and grace. In a story where really no one looks good, God comes off looking magnificent, showing himself to be the merciful God of grace that he is, who can and will accomplish his purposes no matter the circumstances. Through the barrenness of Rebekah, the deceit of Jacob and, and Rebekah, and the disobedience of Isaac, God works in spite of those things, in and through those things, for his purposes. Notice also that while Jacob and Isaac mess up in major ways, isn't it interesting that in the end they're remembered in the great hall of faith? Look at Hebrews eleven twenty again. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. What did Isaac do? He blessed his sons, right? And he blessed them by faith. There was a time in Isaac's life, though late in life, when he finally realizes that God's blessing is going to rest upon his younger son no matter what, and he accepted that. Remember the blessing he gave Jacob, though inadvertently at first? Look at Genesis 27, 29. Next slide here. It says, let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Now again, he thought he was giving that blessing to Esau. God meant it to go to Jacob, which is where it went. And when Isaac finally realizes that God's blessing is going to rest upon the younger no matter what, he told Esau when he approached his father for blessing, though he did bless Esau, he told Esau, Genesis 27, 40, look at it, next verse, you shall serve your brother. Isn't that exactly what God said? The older shall serve the younger. Isaac, the one time, at one time, he was disobedient to God, not a help, but a hindrance, eventually responds in faith before it's too late, and it is his faith that is put on display here. In faith, he blessed both Jacob and Esau. Ligon Duncan said this, look at this quote up on the screen. When explaining this passage of Scripture in Hebrews, he says, Isaac accepted God's reversal, both of his personal preference for Esau and of the general pattern of the blessing of the firstborn and he accepted that Jacob was the one who was going to be blessed with regards to things to come faith always bows the knee to God's will and then acts in accordance with that will great definition of faith there we learn here from Isaac that while he had a rocky start he ended well showing us that the faithful respond in faith before it's too late and we learn that God still honors that faith. Isn't that incredible?
He honors a faith that is displayed in time. Don't believe me, just look at the thief on the cross. We don't know the details of his wicked life, do we? We can assume that he was. Christ was the only innocent man hanging there at Calvary. We don't have any details of that, but what we do have is the details of his great faith and his final destination. It was the Lord Jesus Christ himself who said, today you will be with me in paradise. His faith came in time. Isaac had a rough start. There were things outside of his control, issues with him personally that were threats to God's purposes. While God promised to bless him, make a great nation out of him, his wife was barren. Though God said the blessing would pass to the younger Jacob, Isaac favored the older Esau. But God worked despite his wife being barren, despite his disobedience. And Isaac eventually came around. He believed God before it was too late. He he accepted God's reversal. He bowed the knee to God's will, and he is remembered for his great faithfulness. Folks, there is great application to be made by us today. Maybe you're here today, and up to this point in your life, you have lived a life of disobedience when it comes to God's promises and his purposes for your life. Maybe you're here, and you understand what the gospel teaches You understand that God has created you to live for Him and for His glory and has sent His Son, Jesus, to accomplish this great work of salvation and has called for you to forsake your sin and make Christ Lord of your life, but you have resisted that message and you have chosen to live a life apart from and opposed to God. If this is you, God's message for you today is to repent before it's too late. Bow your knee in accordance with God's will and live in accordance with His Word. Look to Jesus who has come and has lived the perfect life you can never live and laid His life down in your place. Forsake your sin. Make God's Son your Lord today. Place your faith alone in Christ alone today before it's too late. Maybe you're here and you're trusting in Christ alone for your salvation, but you have slipped up in some major ways. You don't know if you can bounce back. Listen, this book is filled with stories of men and women who have fouled up in major ways. Doesn't make it okay. There are severe consequences that come from those mess-ups. Some are long-lasting, but we learn here those who respond in brokenness and repentance and faith and finish well, they're remembered for their faith. How encouraging is that? It's not too late for you to respond today in faithfulness. Be faithful today for the rest of your days. Look at verse 21. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of his sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. Think about Jacob again. He was not favored by his father Isaac. Rocky start, deceptively received the blessing from him, but we learn that Jacob went on to be a great man of faith. 
We learn here, late in Jacob's life, on his deathbed, he was trusting in God and was a worshiper and follower of his. Look at uh, Genesis 48. You can turn there or I've got the verses I'm going to look at up on the screen here. Next slide. In Genesis 48, Jacob is blessing his son's son. His favorite son, Joseph. His sons are Ephraim and Manasseh. But in the passage, we learn that when Jacob places his hand on the head of Joseph's youngest, Ephraim, and blesses him, first Joseph gets upset. He wants his father to favor the firstborn. In, in Genesis 48, verse 19, Jacob basically says, While I will bless Manasseh, and he shall, shall become a great people, and he shall be great nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. Isn't that interesting that Jacob is the one giving this sort of blessing, right? We see history repeating itself. Here Jacob is doing what his father did to he and, and Esau, but he's doing it more willingly, right? Learn from his father's mistakes. The younger, once again, is greater than the older. It takes faith, especially in this day, it took faith to, to accept that and embrace that because this was out of the norm. In this day, in this culture, the, the younger almost always served the older. It was the older who was favored, not in the case of Jacob and Esau, not in the case of Ephraim and Manasseh. We learn here that God is not constrained by cultural norms, traditions, and human opinion. God chooses, God favors, God works in and through whomever he so chooses. And neither you nor me have the right to say, no, God, it should be this one over this one. We can't do that. He's God. He has that right. And we learn that his choosing is unmerited and undeserved. We see that in Jacob. Jacob had experienced this, and here he acknowledges this by faith. Though Jacob had a rough start, not favored by his father Isaac, deceived him for, for blessing, Jacob becomes a faithful follower of God. He says to Joseph in Genesis 48, 15, God has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, all the way to the end of his life. Jacob, while on his deathbed, also passes along the promise that God made to him, Isaac, and, and Abraham. In Genesis 48, 21, we're told that he says to Joseph, Behold, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. So we, we see here that, that Jacob, like his father, like his grandfather before him, believed in the promises of God, though he did not live to see their fulfillment. He followed in the footsteps of the faithful, and he persevered in the faith, and he ended well. May that be said of us, believers. So we've looked at the lessons learned from Isaac and Jacob about faith. Now let's look at Joseph. Here's what we learn about Joseph from his story. We learn that from Joseph that faithfulness is trusting in unforeseen promises. Look at verse 22. By faith, 
Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. So the focus here is on Joseph. Remember, he too had a rocky start, right? He was hated by his brothers. Most of them wanted him dead, but, but being the nice brothers that they were, they decided to sell him into slavery, lie to their father, and tell him that he was devoured by a wild animal, right? So nice guys. He ends up in prison, but we know because of God's favor upon him, he works in and through the circumstances and in and through Joseph interpreting dreams, especially Pharaoh's dreams, to get Joseph out of that, uh, that, that situation. Joseph rises to the most powerful position in Egypt next to Pharaoh. It's an incredible story of God's great favor and Joseph's great faith. Here in verse 22 of Hebrews 11, we learn that God's favor and Joseph's great faith continued to the end of Joseph's life. Here in verse 22, we learn that Joseph, at the end of his life, speaks of this coming exodus of God's people out of the land of Egypt and toward the land of promise hundreds of years before it goes down. That's amazing, right? He also gives directions concerning his bones. They were to take his remains and they were to bury them in Canaan. Incredible prophecy and incredible faith. Look at Genesis 50, verses 24 through 26. I've got it up on the screen. We're told this. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die. But God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Then notice the fulfillment. Next passage, Exodus 13, 18 through 19 on the next slide. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt, equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with them, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. Amazing. Joseph believed that God was going to fulfill that promise made to Abraham, Isaac, and his father Jacob, even though he was on his deathbed and was not going to see the fulfillment of this great prophecy. In his time, he believed God. He knew they were returning to the land of promise. He knew his remains were going to be there in the land. He knew God was going to come through for his people. That is faith. Al Mohler said this in his commentary on Hebrews on this passage. Joseph demonstrated remarkable trust in God's plan. He believed God would not leave or forsake Israel in a foreign land. That is faith, the kind of faith we are to emulate. Each one of these patriarchs followed in the footsteps of the faithful before them, in the footsteps of their faithful father Abraham. Some of them lived by faith before it was too late, believed God to the end, 
placed their trust in his future promises, though they did not live to see these promises fulfilled in their lifetime. Great examples of faith and great lessons, once again, for us to learn today. We, too, are to follow in the footsteps of the faithful who have gone before us. We are to live by faith before it's too late. We're to persevere in the faith, place our trust in God's promises, regardless of whether or not we get to see them fulfilled in our lifetime, regardless of our circumstances. We are to hold fast to God's promises, and we're to continue, no matter our circumstances, to follow hard after Christ, looking to Him, clinging to Him, following hard after Him no matter what. That's what it means to live by faith, believers. In verses 23 through 28, the author of Hebrews shifts his focus from the patriarchs to Moses. Here's what we learn from Moses' story. A few lessons here on faith. One, we learn faithfulness is not fearing men but trusting God. Look at verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. This is more about Moses' parents and their faith, right, than Moses here. Many of y'all, you know this story. You're going to read it this week in your scripture reading. Moses had a rough start as well, did he not? His life was a series, actually, of ups and downs. His start was pretty dark. The Jews are in Egypt and the evil Pharaoh ordered for all the Hebrew boys to be killed. But the parents of Moses were people of great faith. We're told that when Moses was born, they hid him away for three months because they saw that he was beautiful. Now, I don't believe this means they disobeyed and hid Moses away because he was such a cute kid. I don't believe that's what that's saying. What the author of Hebrews means here is they knew Moses was someone special. They knew God had a special plan for their son. They hid him away, and it says they were such people of of great faith that they were not even afraid of what the Pharaoh would do, what the king would do. You ever displayed that kind of faith? Has your faith ever been so great that you did not fear in the face of imminent danger. Moses' parents showed this kind of faith here. They understood that rulers can make their decrees all they want. They can plan. They can do all they want. It is God's purposes that will prevail no matter what. Seems like his parents understood that. They probably believed what is said in Proverbs 16, 9 that says, the heart of a man plans his way But the Lord establishes his steps. That's faith to believe that. Proverbs 19, 21. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. It takes faith to believe that. Moses' parents believed that. And Moses, like Isaac and, and Jacob and Joseph, he follows in the footsteps of his faithful parents. Look at verse 24 and 25. This is your key verse for the week in your study guide. Great passage here. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. In this passage, we see another great characteristic of faith, and we learn it from Moses here. Look at it. We learn from Moses, faithfulness is rejecting worldly comforts for heavenly purposes. 
Again, many of you are familiar with the story of Moses, right? After he is born, they hid him away. When he was three months old, they placed him in a basket, put him in a river. And of all the places for him to end up, he ended up in the palace of Pharaoh with Pharaoh's daughter. She saw him. She took him out of the water. And that's what Moses' name means, to draw out of, of water. She drew him out of the water, right? And she raised him right there in Pharaoh's palace. I mean, think about that. The very person who was trying to kill him from the beginning is the very person whose home Moses grows up in. Moses had a great life as well, as far as we know, at this time. By the standards of the world. We learn from the author of Hebrews, however, and we read in the account of Exodus that Moses turned away from that life of luxury. Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Instead of living in the lap of luxury, Moses left to be with this people, God's people. He chose to be mistreated with them rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. Why? Why reject the life of ease and exchange it for a life of hardship? Because Moses had the right perspective, right? He knew God had placed him with the Jewish people, had spared his life for an important purpose to deliver his people from bondage. Notice there are similarities we see between Moses and Joseph in this passage. Both had it good in Egypt, but neither longed to stay. We see that. Why? They believed God's promise to make them a great nation, give them land and bless the nations through their people. And they long for God's purposes to be fulfilled above everything else. And they, they were willing to be faithful toward that end. May that be said of us, believers. May that be what stir our hearts is God's will, His purposes. May there be nothing in this world that, that takes our gaze away from that from being kingdom-focused and doing God's perfect will. Moses longed for God's will to be done, therefore he believed it was better by far to be mistreated with God's people rather than to live a life of ease and be opposed to God. Look at verse 26. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Again, Moses had every reason from the world's point of view, to remain where he was, to remain in the situation he was in, but he refused temporal ease, worldly riches, and the reason why is because we're told he considered the reproach of Christ to be of greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. What kind of reward? Well, deliverance, right? For his people and, and eternal riches as well and reward as well. Moses understood the consequences of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin, which is why he didn't remain where he was following Pharaoh. He did not fear Pharaoh like he feared God. Therefore, he did not follow Pharaoh, but instead followed God. That is to be our perspective as well, believers. We are to fear God above all others and follow him first. Simple application to make there from him. Now there's a phrase here that should stick out to you in verse 26, and it is the phrase, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. 
What does the author of Hebrews mean here when he says reproach of Christ? I mean, I thought Moses' life and ministry was long before the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is he talking about here? Well, think about it. The writer of Hebrews is writing to a New Testament Jewish Christian audience about Jesus, right? And he's making application from the old to the new. So he's writing from a New Testament perspective and is showing that Moses followed a similar path to Christ. And that path, though difficult, he considered better than all the treasures in Egypt. Think about the paths of both Jesus and Moses. There are similarities. There are also major differences. Christ, like Moses, emptied himself, but in a greater way. Moses left the riches of the palace in Egypt. Christ left the riches of heaven. Moses spent the latter days of his life in the wilderness. Christ spent his earthly ministry in the world he created that had been ruined and wrecked by sin. Moses was spared from God's wrath. He poured out on Egypt. He did not die at the hands of his enemies, but was delivered from them. Christ was delivered over to and was killed by his enemies, endured the very wrath of God for us so that he could deliver us. Both delivered God's people. Moses delivered God's people from physical deliverance for a time. Christ provides spiritual deliverance for all eternity. For that reason, both considered the sacrifices they had to make worth it. That's the point. Moses, in the spirit of Christ, considered that kind of reproach, what he was going to have to endure, to be worth it, because what resulted was this great work of deliverance for God's people. Notice the great faith Moses showed when being used by God to deliver his people. Look at the last verse here, verse 28. By faith, Moses kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Many of y'all know this story, right? God first sent Moses to Pharaoh to tell him to let his people go. Pharaoh refused, so God started sending plagues. But that didn't wake Pharaoh up, so God decides to send the plague of all plagues, death to every firstborn. But you remember, the Israelites had an opportunity to be spared from this plague by going out and sacrificing a lamb and taking the blood of the lamb and spreading it over the doorpost. And when that was done, they were told that their house would be passed over and their children would be spared. This was the event that God used to deliver his people out of Egyptian bondage. And many of us, we've, we've heard that story so many times we don't even think about it. We know what took place. We've read the story or we've seen the Prince of Egypt, right? So we, we know that story. We don't think it to be all that strange. But imagine hearing this for the first time. Put yourself in Moses' sandals. I mean, that's pretty strange, isn't it? I bet it sounded strange to him when first hearing it. But notice, he by faith did all that was told to him. He heard God's word and he responded in faith. Verse 28 again, by faith, 
Moses kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch him. He took God at his word and he responded accordingly. Which brings us to the last point about what it means to be a person of faith. Here it is, very simple. Faithfulness is listening to God's word, believing and responding to it. We see Moses' great faith on display here. No matter how strange this might have sounded to him, we're told he heard God's word, he believed it, and responded to it. By faith, he kept the Passover, and as a result, all the firstborn of the Jewish people are spared. They're delivered out of Egyptian bondage. Moses listened, he believed God's word, he responded to it, and as a result, there comes this great deliverance. Times were dark for God's people. They were in a bad way. God's judgment was coming. Moses responds in faith, and God responds by bringing a great deliverance to his people. Listen, folks, we're in a bad way today. We are because of our sin. God is clear in his word that we have all sinned, have fallen short of God's glory. We have turned away from God. God created us to live for him under his authority for his glory, but we have gone our own way. We have set ourselves against God in our sin, and God has told us that because of that, his judgment is coming. Not popular to teach that, but unavoidable in Scripture. His judgment is sure. It's coming. But like there was for those in Moses' day, there is rescue for us today, but here's the difference. This is great. The difference is we do not have to sacrifice a lamb. A lamb has already been slain. The lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who takes away the sin of the world. He has come. He has lived for us. He has laid down his life. He was raised back up. He returned from where he came to the right hand of the Father on high. And God tells us in his word, if we will look to him and trust in him and give our lives up and over to him and make him the Lord of our life, we'll be forgiven of sin and restored to God, be rescued from his wrath to come and be restored into his presence to live forevermore. That's the gospel. That's the rescue that is provided through Christ. Have you forsaken your sin? Are you trusting in God's Son alone for your salvation? If not, I pray today be the day you would give your life up and over to Jesus and make Him your Lord. Let's pray together.